You're listening to the Sound on Sight Walking Dead podcast. This week, in anticipation of the second half of season three, we actually head into multiplexes to take a look at Jonathan Levine's warm bodies and then come back to discuss the departure of Glenn Mazzara and the possible future of the show. Listen to the Sound on Sight Walking Dead podcast. I am Sound on Sight content editor Simon Howell. I'm joined by TV editor Miss Kate Kulzik. Hello. And general editor Mr. Ricky D. Hello, guys. And how y'all doing? Good. Ready to talk some zombies. Yes, many zombies. Could be better. My 49ers lost the Super Bowl. Oh man, I actually cared at the end of that. They like, I because I really didn't care. I don't. Care. I re- only care when my bears are in it. But uh, that end was that was a na- you know that was a nail biter of an episode uh, of a game. I actually, I actually, I actually hated the ending because I just can't stand a sport that has to run down the clock in order to win a Super Bowl. Like you won't see that in hockey or soccer. I just found it so ridiculous. And I'm not a sore loser. Like I do like most of the Raven squad. But I'm sorry, guys. I can't root for a team that has a murderer and a rapist on their squad. That's just me. Sorry. No, I'm with you. <laughs> um, so we're back. The Walking Dead. It starts in about seven days, but uh, we like to record a podcast before the next part of the season kicks off. And yes. uh, we and usually... a funny thing happened between between half seasons that we thought we should talk about. Right, uh, a movie came out called. Uh, oh no, you're talking about the it's a fire. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I thought we were, yes. I thought you were trying to do a segue into our review of. Um, what are we talking about today? Warm bodies. Warm bodies. God, I can't remember the title of the movie. Yeah, I uh, know we're getting there. Uh, but no, I was actually talking about, of course, the. I don't. Why should we call it a departure? The firing, the sacking of of Glenn Mazzara, who, uh, who I think we thought had done a pretty good job. But we're gonna get there in a minute. Uh, but yes, as I, last uh, last time we did one of these, we of course went back and looked at some older zombie films. This week we had a brand spanking new one to talk about, so uh, we're gonna take we're gonna hear a clip and then come back and and review uh, Jonathan Levine's Warm Bodies. What am I doing with my life? I just want to connect. Why can't I connect with people? All right, it's because I'm dead. I wish I could introduce myself, but I don't remember my name. I think it started with an R. That's all I have left. It's kind of a bummer. I shouldn't be so hard on myself. I mean, we're all dead. This is my best friend. We even have almost conversations sometimes. They call these guys bonies. They'll eat anything with a heartbeat. I mean, I will too, but... At least I'm conflicted about it. Nice watch. That was a clip from Warm Bodies, a romantic horror comedy, I guess you could call it that, uh, although there's really not much horror in it, uh, written and directed by Jonathan Levine, who you might also know from All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, Fifty Fifty, and uh, was it The Wackness? Was that also him? He did The Wackness, All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, and 50/50. Yeah, I said that already. 
Anyway, so essentially, I mean, uh, here's how I think this happened. I think that um, Jonathan Levine or someone read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and then thought, hey, what about Romeo and Juliet and Zombies? And I think that's pretty much how this started, although this is actually uh, based on a novel, I assume, with the same name by Isaac Marion. And the same story. <laughs> so it's it's a direct lift of a direct remake of the uh, the book. Yes, yeah. which is itself a fairly direct lift from Romeo and Juliet, just yes. to be clear. Yes. And in case it wasn't obvious enough, the film stars Nicholas Holt as simply R, who uh, is a zombie. Uh, he was infected in the zombie apocalypse, which is quickly sketched out via narration and a few choice uh, newsreels. And uh, he's he's living in an abandoned airport and airplane with his friend R, played by Rob Corddry, also a zombie. And his friend I, M. Sorry, he's R. Yes, yeah, sorry. Rob Corddry is M. You're right. He's R. My bad. Uh, with his friend M, played by Rob Corddry. And, of course, he chances upon a uh, the a daughter of the Resistance, played by Teresa Palmer. She, her name is Julie, of course. And, and uh, you know, things happen. Maybe we sh- maybe we'll we'll elaborate from there. So, uh, Kate, I think you saw this first. You actually scooped you scooped us on this. Yeah, I had uh, I got to see this at at an advanced screening, and I had a lot of fun with it. Actually, I, I didn't really know what I was going to be seeing, but normally I can't go to advanced screenings because I work evenings, and this one I could go to. So I figured whatever it was, I was going to go check it out, and I was actually very pleasantly surprised. I had a lot of fun with it. I I went in knowing the basics of the story. But I, uh, I, I, I had a lot of fun, and I was actually thinking while I was watching it, the, in the first third of the movie, I was actually pondering to myself during the film, which maybe is a bad thing because I wasn't as engrossed, you know, to the point where I wasn't thinking this. But I was thinking, do I actually like this more than Shaun of the Dead, which is a film that I love? And I determined that I don't, but I think it's a strong second to, to that. It feels very much in the same spirit, though it, it does not have that visual flair that of course we get from Edgar Wright's films but the, as far as, as far as the comedy and the, the use of this genre and this this setting to, to tell a basic sort of uh, relationship story and also to talk about growing up and just the more metaphysical elements that we that are present in this story and this notion of being a becoming a zombie being about apathy and and not so much about any sort of plague um i, th- I think ties it in very well with uh with with the end of Shaun of the dead and sort of the the, the story as we follow sean in his progression from sort of a uh a paused adolescence you know to into adulthood so for me it was a lot of fun it's zombie and juliet and i think <laughs> I think Warm Bodies is not the best title. Would Do you guys think Zombio and Juliet would have been a better title or Two on the Nose? That's actually probably the, the least memorable thing about this film is its title. I actually like the title. It's about the only thing I like about the movie. I was going to start really? off. I was going to start off on a positive note, but because you've actually been so positive to compare it to an actually amazing movie like Shaun of the Dead, I'm going to go all the way to the negative side. Um, this movie sucks. It's totally uneven. It suffers from an identity crisis nearly as severe as its protagonist. It wants to be funny. It's not funny. It wants to be charming. It's not charming. It wants to be scary. It's not scary. It wants to be dramatic. It ends up being a little of each to some degree, but it's not a success in any one of those aspects. The tone is all over the place. The script 
okay, there's maybe like a few good scenes, sometimes witty, but more often brain dead. And I think it's PG-13 sensibility kills any hope of this film having any sort of edge. Uh, the voiceover narration plagues the movie even more so than the zombies do. I hate voiceover, and I especially hate voiceover when it's telling you what the character is thinking and or doing. There's so many better ways to express what the actor is feeling. Like, for example, letting the actor act. Um, this movie completely fails to either take its zombie apocalypse story seriously or even a love story seriously. I do not like this movie. I was incredibly disappointed. And everyone's saying that this movie is so original. I'm writing an article on salmonsite.org. I've already posted a first part of a two-part article that I'm writing. And it's basically essential viewing for fans of Warm Bodies. It's movies about zombies and love and zombies falling in love. This is not an original concept. I'm so sick and tired of people saying it's an original film. Um, if anything, it's the most unoriginal film because, first of all, it comes from uh, an, it's an adaptation of a book, which it, in itself is a loose adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. And it's like, uh, I think, Simon, you said it's like the writer read the book Pride and Prejudice with Zombies and just decided to do the same thing, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, and I feel like the director, Jonathan Levine, he watched a movie called Auto Up with Dead People by director Bruce LeBruce, a Canadian filmmaker that I totally love. Um, that is an amazing movie and that movie has a lot to say and it's kind of like he did the exact same thing Bruce LeBruce did except instead of it being a gay zombie it's like a straight teenage boy zombie but the most depressing thing about the whole Twilight phenomenon is the impact it's actually having on Hollywood horror films um, I, I feel like Hollywood will only invest in stories now about the undead if it involves some terrible teen romance and this is not a love story and it's so that it could be it could be so edgy and so cool if they actually ran with it, but they don't. It's so watered down. I mean, how this she and he fall in love based on like one? I mean, she already has a boyfriend, like played by Dave Franco at the beginning of the movie. This dude eats her boyfriend, and and the whole movie is just so inconsistent within the universe that they create. Like you still got to you still got to uh, play by the rules in this universe that you are creating. And there's so many inconsistencies throughout the whole entire film. Nothing makes sense, especially the characters' motivations and actions. I don't think it's terrible, as terrible as I'm making it sound, but it's not a good movie. <laughs> All right. Uh, as, as so frequently happens when I let two of you talk first, I'm, I, I'm somewhere in between and probably a little bit closer to Ricky on this one. I think it has its charms, and I, I want to particularly single out Rob Corddry, who I think is great in this. And he gets most of the best laughs and some of the only actually actual bits of pathos that I think work, which I wasn't really expecting. So props to him. I thought the movie would be instantly improved by at least 50% if you ditch each and every single instance of voiceover narration in this movie. You don't need it. You've already got the, you know, we have that those quick bits of, you know, newspaper headlines and stuff to explain how we got here. We don't, like, for it, there's a perfect example early in the film where when we meet M, there's the scene of R and M and they're at an airport bar, this abandoned airport bar, and they're having, they're hanging out and they're just grunting at each other. And that's their version of conversation. That alone is funny. But instead we have him 
talking over the scene, explaining that grunting is their form of conversation rather than just letting us see that that's what's happening. Yeah, and you know, you know what's, what's what, the biggest shame in all of that is that Nicholas Holt does such an incredible job. He's one of the good things about this movie. He's why I was able to stay in my seat and and keep interest in watching the movie from start to finish because he does such an incredible job, especially with the transition from this shambling zombie to a socially awkward guy. And if anything works in warm bodies, it's his performance because he shows how awkward teenage boys can be around girls they like. And the way he's awkward at expressing himself and uh, how he's terrified of his feelings and his actions and he's longing for some kind of escape from his everyday mundane daily life, like his boring daily life, like any teenage boy can relate to it. The story works when it's about the protagonist and his internal life and his internal struggle. But the thing is, at the same time, it's kind of like the director and or the screenplay writer just assumed their audience is stupid. So we got to throw in voiceover. It's insulting. I, that, that is my, the biggest reason why I'm bitchy right now, because I hate it when a filmmaker insults the audience. But Nicholas Holt is awesome in this movie. What am I doing with my life? I'm so pale. I should get out more. I should eat better. My posture is terrible. I should stand up straighter. People would respect me more if I stood up straighter. What's wrong with me? I just want to connect. Why can't I connect with people? Oh, right. It's because I'm dead. I shouldn't be so hard on myself. I mean, we're all dead. This girl's dead. That guy's dead. That guy in the corner is definitely dead. These guys look awful. You are 100% wrong, both of you, about the voiceover narration. Uh, I, I am not a fan of voiceover narration. We talk about it on the Televerse all the time. That the when, when shows do it well, I'm always surprised. So Veronica Mars and other you know shows like that. When, when Ricky, when you say let the actor act, why don't why doesn't Nicholas Holt, you know, convey more? He's a zombie. He's not supposed to. That zombies don't emote. If he's gonna emote, then he's not a zombie. And if they want to start him as a zombie and have him progress, then he has to start at a point of very little physical emoting and then that increases as it goes through the film i think the voiceover narration is great i think it's funny i think Oof. this is a funny film <laughs> it is a charming film so pretty uh, much every problem that you have with it ricky i disagree i am on the uh, complete opposite side this is not in this is not a horror movie uh, no, this, wait, is, I, I, this is using zombie stories using a zombie to, to just be an analog for the average disaffected socially awkward teenage boy that's what all of the voiceover narration is and i'm sorry that scene when they're at the, when there's when it's rob cordry and nicholas holt's characters grunting at each other yes for like 10 20 seconds that could be funny if they're just grunting back and forth but that scene goes on way too long for it to be comedically uh, meaningful or successful without you know without the other narration going on so maybe if they took their narration out and then they chopped that down so it wasn't just you know a minute of people grunting back and forth well yeah obviously no, you know well but, you know you no. know what I'll, I'll i'll feel totally okay right now if i walk away and i'm the wrong one for not liking the voiceover narration because ain't you know the, the general rule is like screenplay 101 uh you go into class and you take a screenplay writing class and the first thing the teacher says is don't fucking put narration like this, like the narration we see in Warm Bodies. I do not like it. There's there's, there's small moments where the narration works. For example, when he says, don't be creepy, don't be creepy. Like, that's funny. And, and that like that that was a perfect moment where, you know, he they can throw in a little bit of narration. But, I mean, 
the narration, especially. Well, wait, no, you can't have you can't have both. Either they oh, yes, don't use narration, or oh, they yeah, do yes, use narration. I, I think it's I think it's perfectly valid to say that ninety percent of the narration should be thrown out. Personally, totally. I throw out all of it, but I can see where Rick's going. Well, from. like the beginning of the movie, the narration. First of all, the movie starts so slow, and I, I love you know movies that take their time. They have like you know like I love Bellatar films, for example. But the movie, when I say it kicks off slow, it's because we have this narration where he's explaining what's going on. We walk around the airport. We walk really slow. This is my friend. We sit down and talk to each other. This is what we do on a daily basis. I live in an airplane. I see what you're saying in front of me. <laughs> this is like, I'm sorry, but the, the thing is, is that this movie is a product of Summit Entertainment, and that's a distributor of the Twilight movies. And what they basically did was they took this book, and instead of focusing on the character, his internal struggle, his awkwardness, how, how it relates to being a, a, a socially awkward teenage boy, they decided that they wanted to focus more on the terrible romance at the heart of this film, starring some actress who's so forgettable, so, okay, I won't say incredibly bad, but she's useless. This, uh, what's her name? Uh, Ter- it's Teresa Palmer, who was also in, like, The Sorcerer's Apprentice and a couple other things. And what's funny is... Oh, God damn. I was I, I was sitting... She's she's fine, but it was, it was funny because I was sitting at my screening next to three teenage girls who, by the way, every time something even vaguely cute happened went... Aww. or whenever there was a slightly suspenseful bit went <laughs> anyway it was really funny it actually added a lot to my screening but one of them actually said during the screening she looks so much like Kristen Stewart <laughs> which I was like okay I guess Summit did their job this is not Twilight with zombies this is, is Romeo and Juliet no, you can't complain no. about Romeo and Juliet focusing on the romance this is Twilight with zombies is what it is and you want to talk about oh wait, wait, not at wait, all wait, wait. you want to talk about Romeo and Juliet okay um, let's talk about the parallels between Warm Bodies and Romeo and Juliet and how, like, this movie, okay, it, it feels like, how, how should I explain this without being even more, no, fuck it, I'm gonna be mean. It feels like a writer <laughs> who only has a basic cultural awareness of the actual plot of Romeo and Juliet, but never actually read Shakespeare. Like, speaking of the parallels between the two stories, okay, if anything, the humans, uh, the, the zombies should be more like the Capulets, the girl should have been the zombie and the boy human if they're actually going to play up that whole adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. What do we get from Romeo and Juliet besides the fact that her name's Julie, his name's R, and there's a balcony scene? Well, let's see. <laughs> M is Mercutio. The best friend is the nurse. Yeah, I get it. Who is the confidant who helps them together. You have two warring families. You have him killing her. Her, uh, you know, At the beginning, it's uh, the boyfriend is a stand-in for Tybalt. It's it's a direct oh Romeo and Juliet parallel. Parallel. The only thing that's different is the added, you know, commentary about what it's like to be a, a an unavailable and uh, uncommunicative, you know, disaffected and, person. And the ending. I, I the ending is different, and I'm sorry. It's the ending is different. But he, yes. he he has the characters totally in reverse. The Capulets should be. The zombies. I disagree. Okay, well we because because of Julie because of Juliet, Romeo. I, there's there's at least to me in, in Romeo and Juliet, Juliet feels very idealized, and she does she feels very much like the 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 put up on a pedestal kind of female figure. You're not going to get that if she's a zombie. You know, you know. I'm sorry. Uh, when I watch a movie like Auto Up with Dead People, that movie has so much to say. It's like it's a, a work of art. And I watch Warm Bodies, and this is basically just put together lazily for the teen audience that also likes movies like Twilight. I, well, when we're talking about or me, who likes Romeo and Juliet a lot, has a 
deep but affinity I, I, for Shakespeare and doesn't like I, Twilight. I, I, I think, hold shocked. on, hold on I a second. Shocked. I think there are wait, problems wait. with the screenplay that don't connect to its, you know, it, its status as a Romeo and Juliet adaptation. For instance, the, the, the movie introduces devices and then doesn't really do much with them. My favorite example being, uh, and this would be foundation for a whole entire other film, by the way. Whenever whenever R eats someone's brains, yeah. he gains their memories. I actually, that's one thing. That that's I, great. That's one but th- Yes, but they don't do anything with it. No, no, you're right. Well, they do. They sort of do. That's one thing that I love about this movie. Because it's true. Whenever, that that's the reason why the zombies crave human brains. Because they get to experience the memories of their victims. And I thought that was fantastic. They sort of do something with it because, because he ate the brains of Julie's boyfriend or now ex-boyfriend played by Dave Franco. He experiences all his memories with Julie. So therefore it helps him as a zombie come more to life. Like, you know, right. But did it, did you find it strange that they never actually talked about it or, you know, grunted about it? What do you mean? Well, like they, they never actually could like he never even even when he is able to start talking, he never says, by the way, when I ate your boyfriend's brains, I I picked up all his memories. So, you know, it's sort of like you're still together. like it just why it, it he's not weird trying that, to emphasize the fact that he tells that he heard that he ate her, her boyfriend, but he doesn't want to really harp on that. too. Well, much. it just it seems odd that 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 they introduced this huge concept and we only see it happen once with one person no and then actually, it's never really thematically though. actually you're wrong in this one simon i'm going to disagree really with you. okay yeah, because, because 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 there's three scenes in which we see him eat um the, the boyfriend's brain yes i'm saying we, we see it happen with one person the boyfriend yeah but what i think is important with that is i think it's a, a strong separation between the zombies and the bonies because you every time you see the bonies eating people they're eating their flesh whenever you see the zombies they're going for the brain because and it, that that's really the the other non-romeo Romeo and juliet side of this film is that discussion of you know what's the difference between these two and the the zombies still crave humanity connection life and and the bonies don't can, can... And, and so i love that there's a reason that they eat brains and i and and you have they might be so disconnected that they can't even talk anymore but they still crave that connection and that humanity and that's what allows them to heal at the end actually actually can we can we talk about the bonies for a second uh besides the besides the fact that they're really dodgy cgi i do want to um, i do want to talk about the bonies but i just want to say i actually agree with kate like i'm willing to okay. see the good things in this movie there are good things but overall i was just incredibly disappointed but yeah let's go back to the bonies and they're okay. incredibly bad actually the, CGI. the existence of the bonies felt like a huge cop-out to me as did a lot that happens in the last 45 minutes because essentially the bonies exist besides the reasons that you've already stated, so that in the end, the zombies and the humans can team up together to fight the real enemy, which really felt like an evasion of, you know, the real conflicts at the heart of Romeo and Juliet. Right. I also like the fact that the zombies just want a chance because they feel like anybody can come back, like, from the dark side, but they're not willing to give the bonies a chance. And also the CGI was terrible. You want to talk about sketchy CGI? Um, This was horrible i i don't understand why they didn't just get really skinny people and put them in suits because it wouldn't have been that hard it would have it would have looked a lot better but but you know I, I was talking about the zombie rules and director jonathan levine he stays faithful to the zombie rules but i'm not sure which rule book he's following because every section of the movie like the first act the second act and the third act all have different zombie rules they they crave flesh they do not crave flesh they travel in packs they do not travel in packs they run fast they don't run fast they have beating hearts they're dead they're undead like i'm like the inconsistencies in the universe make no sense and also neither does the character motivations or actions 
Uh, for example, Julie, uh, like, why exactly did she walk away with the zombie? Like, they, 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 they introduce her as, like, this badass. She's wielding a machine gun. She's, like, tearing shit apart. And then all of a sudden, she just, like, R grabs her hand, and he kind of, like, slowly drags her back to the airport. Like, she's being held captive. Like, she's taken hostage. I'm like, no, you're walking with this zombie dude to the airport. Like, he's not holding you hostage. And then there's not one, not two, but three times throughout the movie in which she attempts to escape, but she doesn't escape. It's like... It's like, what? Like, okay, I, I I can understand one time writing into the screenplay, but three times that she tries to escape, I was like, wow, talk about repetitiveness. Like, the movie's, like, already, like, in need of some serious original ideas, and you guys can't even think of anything new to do, so she's just going to run away again. That's Twilight right there. <laughs> you had a problem with her not being able to run away from... a an airport full of zombies who would immediately smell her and eat her. Well, actually I, I have a, I, I have a problem with that when it's established early in the movie that zombies are slow. And then, a, and then a couple scenes later, later we see them running at human speed. All right. It's established that zombies are really slow. Uh, and then she has a machine gun. He's one zombie. And, and also her, some of her friends are still alive and she just walks with him. Like he grabs her hand. It's not like he like, I don't know, like handcuffed her or something. I think she, he, th- it seems to me that, you know, it seems that it would seem to her that if she doesn't go with, then he will bite her. I don't know. She's got a machine gun. Shoot him in the head. He's really slow. Yeah. And then the rest of the pack of zombies will hear and come kill her. Uh, okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> this, I'm sorry. This movie suffers from a lack of ambition. I think that's what's so frustrating because I see potential. You know, I, I look at some of this, these movies that I'm putting on my list of essential viewing for, for fans of warm bodies, and they're just so much better. And with, like, a third or a quarter or a tenth of the budget. You know, and at the end of the day, the whole last, the whole climax was, maybe it's because I live in Montreal, but, like... Oh, yeah, it was so Montreal. It, Holy crap. It was, not, it was so Montreal. For people that don't live in Montreal, I mean, they didn't dress up the set. I mean, that is the Olympic Stadium. Like, it's, and, you even, and you see the Five Roses sign in the background. Y- y- yeah. you see that? You see, that's the <laughs> Montreal airport. Like, it was just like, what? I was like, even like the set design, it was just so lazy. Everything about this movie just feels lazy. I, I don't, it's been a while since I saw it. I don't remember. Do they say that it's somewhere else and not Montreal? Well, nobody speaks any French, so... Yeah, but it's set in the future. So how do you uh, know? No, no. Trust be me. Trust me. Quebec, Quebec French does not die. It's it's I, not it's not going to go anywhere in the future. That, that's really not a problem for me because as I, I unless I'm mis- misremembering something, they they never say it's not Montreal. So why shouldn't it be Montreal? I don't know. I just I wasn't impressed with the world building. Regardless if it's if it looks like Montreal or not, I just wasn't impressed with the world building at all. Um, but. Uh, e- you know, I will. One more thing I liked about the movie. Thank God the movie at least offers somewhat of a plot device that allows warm bodies to sidestep the idea of necrophilia. Because, like, he does slowly become a human. <laughs> so it's not like she's actually falling in love or making out with, like, a dead corpse. Um, so that was kind of refreshing because that whole, like, Twilight, like, you know, 16 year old girl having sex with a 120 year old vampire dude, kind of weird, kind of creepy. But I, I will. Okay, I've, I got, I've got to say it again. Just because there's a supernatural element and there are young people does not mean that it, that this is trying to be. 
Oh, no, no. Summit Entertainment uh, wanted it to be directed towards the Twilight audience. I mean, of they... course, the Twilight audience is a huge audience. It makes lots of that make, you know, apparently <laughs> was willing to spend lots and lots of money at, at the movie theater. So th- there's a difference between trying to get their audience and trying to be Twilight. Yeah, but there's a difference between trying to get their audience and still trying to deliver a movie that's edgy and has something to say, as opposed to watering it down and just like focusing on this weak ass love story with uh, uh, an actress in the center of it who no one cares about. I mean, look, I cared about that character and I thought she did a good job. She did a decent job for what little was given to her. Um, I, 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 I was I the only one kind of wishing that she and Annalee Tipton would swap places because uh, <laughs> she was also in Damsels in Distress. She's the one who plays the nurse and she's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, she is. Uh, look, look, you know, if I found uh, a zombie that was as cute and as sweet as R, hell, I would, like, date the dude, too. But, again, like, I, maybe I just like Bruce LaBruce's movie so much that I was kind of just pissed off watching this movie. Because I just... I, can I just clarify? I'm I'm sure there's a 0% chance Jonathan Levine has seen any of Bruce LaBruce's movies. You, you never know. I mean, the fact that he, he shoots all his movies in Montreal and or in Toronto, so he's clearly hooked up with the Canadian, like... Um, I don't know. He's got like friends in the Canadian film world here, whatever it is I'm trying to say. So you never know. Maybe. Well, I guess I guess the next time we have a mid-season break, we're gonna have to get Kate to watch Otto or up with gay people. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you can try. We're not gonna get Kate to do that. Uh, John Malkovich, uh, right? I think he was in this movie. I'm not. Oh, he sure. was so wasted in this film. Holy crap! You think he got a paycheck at least? He got a paycheck. It's a it's a very it's a it's a role you've seen before. Um, yeah, and I was actually if you because I, I looked up the um, the Wikipedia for the the book, and they changed the ending with his character substantially, such that the character doesn't really make sense in in the like he doesn't serve a purpose. Um, that you know, in, in the book, he serves a very different purpose, and there's a f- philosophical element to to what happens with that character, and that's completely absent here. So I really don't understand why they felt the need to make yeah. that shift. Well, well but... I feel like I, I and you know, I'm gonna just wrap things up for me. I, I feel like so much that bothers me about the movie, except for the narration, which is a separate issue, was just it feels like so much in the screenplay is there to avoid more interesting options. Like, you know, the, the way we have the bonies and and the way that, you know, they have, oh, we have a real enemy we can all fight now. Great. Uh, the way that the movie treats Julie and her and how she reacts to her boyfriend's death or doesn't react and sort of basically brushes it off with a brief speech that I didn't find convincing at all. Um, and, you know, and so then, you know, the, the, it ends up being just a little bump in the road, which, yeah, that didn't work for me. Uh, I don't know. Every, everything about it just seemed like it was engineered for maximum convenience. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually shocked. I'm shocked that Kate likes this movie as much as she does. Because I, I would have walked into this review and I would have been like not as harsh and negative. But I feel like we need some kind of balance here. So I'm not like holding <laughs> back. But I am shocked that you like this movie so much based on just the, the character of Julie. Like she makes so many incredibly stupid decisions that she should, uh, she, she, she feels like a character that would be mo- more at home at a, at a, uh, in a traditional horror movie. Like she's the kind of like heroine that I do not like in my horror films. Whatever. I was seriously disappointed with this movie. I don't necessarily want to see a chick flick zombie movie, even though Nicholas Holt is beautiful as hell. Uh, he's got like, the most prettiest <laughs> eyes in the world. But there's Although a- I'm confused as to why the makeup made him look exactly like the singer from My Chemical Romance. I don't know what My Chemical Romance is, but sure. Uh, but you know what's funny about Jonathan Levine? I always feel so bad because every time we review one of his movies, except for maybe 50-50, which I loved, 
uh, were just so harsh on him. And the thing that gets me so frustrated is all of his movies have such potential to be so much more than what they are. Like, All the Boys Love Mandy Lane is this wicked slasher film until like the third act in which he decides to go for the most incredibly obvious and silly and cliched twists that you usually see in horror films and the whole thing falls apart. I agree. Yeah. It's a real shame when that happens. Right. And then you have the whackness, which I was like, holy shit. Like, you know, it takes place in New York city. It's sort of like a coming of age, like film. The soundtrack is exactly what I was listening to when I was a teenager growing up in the nineties, you know, like you had like Wu-Tang clan and stuff. And I was like, this movie's going to be awesome. And it was just so incredibly smug. And again, like, just had such potential and then warm bodies i feel like it's in between his worst film and his best film which is 50 50 like i don't think it's a horrible film i just think i just feel like they could have done so much more i know they played it too safe they played it way too safe and I, my final thought will be that I had a lot of fun with this movie. I very much enjoyed the performances. I laughed out loud many times watching this, and I'm very surprised that apparently you guys didn't. I feel like we didn't watch the same movie, but so it goes. Um, also, I, I loved the philosophical element. I loved the, you know, I'm, I'm like we always talked about on Televerse when we would, would discuss Fringe. Maybe, you know, I don't know how much of that is me liking to read into stuff as the almost English major <laughs> that, that I, that I am. Uh, but, but no, I, I love the discussion of the soul and the self and, and the disaffected youth and when, and, and I love that it was a, a zombie movie that didn't really feel the need to you know, be mired in science that was willing to do the timey-wimey and just have that be their explanation and instead focus on character and on and on pathos and on comedy so if you want to see zombio and juliet that as a comedy that's what you're going to get with this yeah well i mean i see all of those things there i just don't see them develop to a degree that i find interesting like it feels more like a prologue to a longer more compelling allegory about humanity racism like like being a teenage social awkward boy like anyhow uh kate and i'm, I'm happy with the film not t giving me an answer but letting me think about it and and uh you know come to my own conclusions so you're not recommending this film so i am recommending this film <laughs> so you're and not recommending this film all right so uh and sorry I, as we're wrapping up i need to bitch about one more thing that wasn't mentioned ultimate example of the movie thinking we're all idiots the cgi beating hearts Oh God! That, while while the zombies start to develop feelings, really, I was okay the, with the it. soundtrack and the posture and the plot weren't enough to tell us that we needed a CGI beating fucking hearts. Ah! Anyway, okay, I'm done. Uh, so the movie's called Warm Bodies. <laughs> if you think Kate sounds like she's making sense, maybe you should go see it. It did pretty decently well this weekend. Uh, so perhaps you already have. Anyway, we're gonna come back and talk about uh, the upcoming stretch of The Walking Dead and what we might expect and the departure of Glenn Mazzara. Did you hear that? I did. We should bail. Oh, hey, we can't just bail. We have orders. Do you have any idea how much medicine the city goes through a month? We need pharma salvage to survive. We can't just God, abandon our... just like my dad. Thank you. Yeah, it wasn't a compliment. Oh, here, guys. Take some Prozac. Maybe that'll cheer you up.
So, uh, having wrapped up our review of Warm Bodies, let's uh, look ahead to season 3.5, if you'd like to call it that, of The Walking Dead, which starts, I believe, next Sunday night. Uh, we generally, uh, I, I think we can all agree that season three so far is probably the best season, if not by leaps and bounds, at least by degrees. Yeah. All right. So, uh, with that being, with with that said, you know, people were not, I feel like with the departure of Glenn Mazzaro, we're in a different position than we were when Frank Darabont was, let's say, left. I mean, it was after season one, which I think everyone agreed had some problems. Uh, it seems it's interesting to me that Mazzara's out at a time when it's pretty much universally agreed upon that the show's better than it's been in the past. Well, like, okay, I don't follow uh, blogs, like news blogs or whatnot, so I'm not exactly sure why... He was fired, but from what I understand, they, they basically said creative differences. Right, I, I was under. Uh, I understood it was because it wasn't necessarily about his direction with season three. It's about what he wanted to do with season four. Yes, that's what I understand as and, well. And the thing is, it's hard for us to comment on it because we don't know what his plan was for season four. It might have been horrible. Like we might even think it was horrible. We might be like, yeah, good thing that they fired him. Like maybe they wanted season four to be more like Warm Bodies. You know what I mean? well i mean we we don't we don't know everything but i think we can make some inferences and i i I think what's troubling about them getting rid of uh glenn mazara and they've already named his replacement and i've already forgotten who it is um so i i feel bad about that it's somebody who's who's already working on the show so they haven't brought in anyone from outside is with the replacement with with the way that they've gone about putting in new showrunners apparently every season and a half it really feels like AMC doesn't want anyone to uh, – it seems like they don't want anyone to get too creative with the material, frankly. I mean, we can debate whether or not uh, Frank Darabont's original idea for a season two opener was a good idea or not, but it certainly was uh, completely – it completely broke the mold of any future episodes that we've seen. You know, was it was it was it a good call for them not to do it? Maybe, but – it's obvious they don't want, or at least it seems to me that they don't want anyone, you know, messing with the formula too much when it's for now, at least the biggest show they have. I actually know who's taking over, believe it or not, because you told me who's taking over. It's uh, Scott M. Gimple. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So uh, what was your question? <laughs> well, I, well I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm putting forth a theory really. Yeah. And that, I mean, again, it's been a while since this news was re- released and there was a t- tizzy on the internet and lots of reports of, you know, reasonings and motivations and all of that. And so it's been a while since all of that. But what I, what has stayed with me was this notion that, yeah, that it sounded like he was, he, the direction that Glenn Mazar wanted to go this next season was, well, not better, but uh, far more interesting than the direction that the, that the, the, the studio wanted that amc wanted and um basically a lot more of the same and action guts and not you know anything interesting with the characters to the extent that did, did it they actually say anything what about, wanted. did they actually say anything about what mazara wanted to do there, there was a huge twitter war between mazara and uh, i think uh kirkman but the thing is what you got to remember though is gimple wrote some of the best walking dead episodes so it's not like they just took someone from like, you know, outside, like someone that had nothing to do with The Walking Dead, especially a success. It's it is someone who's written some of our favorite episodes. Well, and I think that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. They they if 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 they were interested in in dramatic reinvention, I think they would have a not fi- they would not 
they they wouldn't keep firing people who are interested in dramatic reinvention, and B, they would bring in people from outside the show's stable, which they keep not doing. Yeah, the the Hollywood Reporter, their article about it basically implies that this was a a struggle between um, Kirkman's direction for the show and Mazzara's, and that AMC want to go with uh, Kirkman and to help allow him to maintain more control. And this is, you know, the property that he created. But on the same token, what works for a comic book and a graphic novel does not necessarily work for TV. And uh, I think a lot of the directions, I mean, when Mazar took over in the middle of season two, there was obviously some transitional issues. We had issues to varying extent to, to, to varying extents with the direction of season two and, and, you know, the pacing, shall we say, of season two. But what I, I think the, the a lot of the strides that happened this past season are because of, of that increased pace. And I think, you know, the going back you know, cutting down your dialogue, focusing on, you know, these particular characters and to making bold moves like killing off Laurie and some of these other things that they did this year. And, um, I, of course, maybe it'll be great. Maybe it'll be wonderful. But then again, maybe, so maybe community will be great when it comes back without its creator. So, you know, it's, it's hard to know what's going to happen, but it does show a, a lack of concern for the author process or, or like the author model and theory of television at AMC. And, uh, you'd think that, when they have their highest rated show and the highest rated show on TV for the most part, that they wouldn't want to mess with it. But, you know, you'd think that giving that, giving that, that Mazzara having put out a product that has made the, you know, this show, the most watched show on television for the most part would allow him the, the currency to be able to do what he wants in the next season. But apparently that's not the case. It, it's I, I don't even know what to say because a part of me wants to agree that it's wrong for them to fire the guy. But then there's a part of me that realizes that it's Kirkman's creation. And then I don't really know what his direction was, but I would like to see them take more chances and sort of like sway away from the book, you know, cause I don't necessarily want to see panel by panel adapted to the, the TV show. Cause I've already read the book. But they are doing a good job in adapting the book. Like, they do make little changes here and there. You know, like, we've been waiting, for example, for Tyrese for, like, almost two seasons. We finally get him halfway through season three. He comes in at a different point of where he does in the book. And so, oh, it's so hard for me to, like, really comment on this. I don't know. You know? Well, I mean, I I think there are some not-so-encouraging signs. I mean, the... Kirkman himself doesn't have the best track record for writing episodes. I mean, does anyone remember that really bad season one episode he wrote? Yeah, the one with the yeah. uh, the, the, the gangs, the gangs yeah. of like Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. Woo! That was not good. Uh, so I, I'm, I mean, I what I don't get is why AMC just doesn't just make Kirkman showrunner if they're so interested in his vision. Like, why do they need to? What like is Gimple just going to be Kirkman's puppet, or it, or is he going to start having ideas and they're going to have to get rid of him too? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't even know why we're talking about this because we're not in those like boardroom meetings. Like, <laughs> no, but I, I I find that this process fascinating, and and I I I found it interesting what you were mentioning a Twitter war, and I mean AMC has a bit of a recent history with showrunners and uh, how do we want to put it being dicks. Um, for instance, they, it, it seems very much like, like Matthew Weiner almost left Mad Men when they were in, when they were in the midst of like long negotiations that delayed their most recent season for at least six months. And how was their most recent season? 
oh, their most recent season was great exactly. because Weiner was still on it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Whereas and, and... AMC was trying to cut down on the number of cast, cut down on the, the length of each episode, have more commercial breaks. So... Matthew, I, say what you will about the what they finally what how much money Weiner was asking for for his own personal sal- salary and the effect that might have had on AMC. The w- when it comes to protecting his vision, I think we are all better off for him sticking to his guns against the the changes that AMC wanted to make. But, but he stayed on board for the last season because they they backed the Brinks truck up. Right, exactly. Uh, but so, it wasn't. It wasn't. The, it, if they'd had their way, he might not have necessarily stuck around. Well, and I wouldn't be surprised if that negotiation has I- influenced, you know, and the amount of money they had to shell out for it has influenced the way that they now handle their relationships with showrunners. Well, you know, I, I guess like if I was in a position where I was like the one of the executives or one of the owners of the network, I don't necessarily want showrunners to think that they are now the boss. You know, and they can, you know, ask for like an increase in like their salary and, and demand so and so. And we're just going to give it to them because they're just showrunners. I mean, there's got to well, be there's there's a difference between being just being a showrunner and being the showrunner on the most successful show you have and is also yeah. doing a good job creatively. Yes, I, I yeah. agree. There, but there's got to be like a balance. And again, I don't know the politics behind all of this. I don't work at AMC. I don't know what they're saying or thinking or who's fighting with who. All I know is that Frank Darabont left after season one or mm-hmm. midway through season two and the show yeah. became better. It was much better. So I, mm-hmm. it, it's like, I don't even know why we're talking about this because we don't know what his vision was. Like if he wanted to take the show to Africa and like Andrea became like some like African queen and she was fighting zombies with lions, like, you know, that might be cool. But <laughs> at the same time, I can be, I can understand why they're like, well, we can't do that. So we got to fire you. you know? I, I guess the reason that I tend between these two, obviously, as you said, we don't know what's going on. We went on on the set. We have no way of knowing that. But the reason that I between Glenn Mazzara and AMC, the reason I'm far more likely to opt in the Glenn Mazzara camp uh, is, is look at look at what AMC started as and has become. They started as the the network that gave us Mad Men and Breaking Bad, and then if you, I mean, we liked The Walking Dead. It's a solid show, and obviously, it 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 gets them huge ratings and really works for a huge swath of the American population. But look at the quality of the shows that have gone on. They they canceled Rubicon and kept the killing on for now a third season, and you know, I, I think whereas AMC was for a while the best, you know. Pay, you know, non-pay cable network, the most interesting, the one that was doing the most daring and the most uh, creative, dramatic work. Now they're the network that that gets rid of two showrunners in th- in three seasons, and uh, and and they did the same thing on The Killing, or they did sorry, they did the same thing on Hell on Wheels, and I don't know, I just. After after Mad Men and Breaking Bad are over, I really am going to have very little reason to watch AMC. Uh, yeah, it's going to be. I think a lot of people are going to be facing that dilemma when Mad Men ends its run next year, and and I guess maybe even some will have it after Breaking Bad ends. But yeah, I, I think it's clear that AMC has a, has a showrunner problem, or at the very least, they have an image problem. And, yeah, uh, I mean, when even Sean Ryan, who tends to be pretty. PC, who tends to be pretty PC, goes on Twitter and says, "I don't know why any showrunner would sign up with AMC instead of," and then lists every other Other. network and cable company. (laughs) Yeah, Um, you probably have some issues to to 
to sort out. Just just compare the relationship or, or the, the what's being made at AMC and the relationship with their showrunners there to FX. And yeah, it, it seems like FX is far more behind create, supporting creative people and uh, supporting their showrunners as opposed to what's going on at AMC right now. Or like Simon said, or they just need to get much better PR people. So you, yep. you're actually correct because Breaking Bad ends this year. Yeah. Yep. Mad Men, I don't watch. It ends next year. Okay, I don't care. I don't watch it. And then that's it. Then there's The Walking Dead. They they have other shows too. I just they're they're in my opinion they're not nearly as good. Well, no, I'm sorry. I'm not interested in Kevin Smith nor a TV show that he's behind and or produced and or starring in whatever comic or book, Hell on Wheels. Whatever comic book men is, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in Hell on Wheels because I watched the first season and I wasn't impressed. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, AMC is kind of like, you know, I wish The Walking Dead would just kind of like move to HBO or something. (laughs) That's never going to happen, (laughs) but it would be, it it would be nice. I'm done with uh, this network. Done with them. Anyway. All right. So (laughs) with that note, we will be back next week to actually discuss actual real episodes of The Walking Dead that actually are are real and exist. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see if. We enjoy the rest. I mean, uh, the rest of the season is unencumbered by what's happened. It's all Glenn Mazzara's vision. So we're actually not going to feel the changes until next year. Or as, I, I should say at the end of this year. So Wait, before we go, let's just uh, go around and have a prediction of who the next person to die will be. Ooh. Uh, um, who's going to start? Uh, well, I'm, if, I'm... if Black Guy wasn't Tyrese, I'd go with him. So let's say <laughs> Black Girl, his girlfriend. No, no, I don't wait, know. Sorry. Let me ponder. Sorry, I'm talking about major characters here. We're not going to talk about extras whose names we do not know. Oh, um, I'm going to be a dick and say Carl. No, Carl's not going to die. He's not going anywhere. Carl yeah, will live Carl's longer. Carl's totally not dying. Carl... No, no, I know he's not going to die, but I'm going to predict it anyway. <laughs> you can't stop me from predicting it. Is that hope? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Carl's going to live longer than um, than Rick. I'm actually going to go and say it's going to be Merle. Oh, yeah. So does Merle count? Oh, well, yeah. He's a major player. Okay, well then, yeah, definitely Merle. I think that's, you know, that's... Because he's... I don't see him possibly transitioning to the camp with Rick and, and the rest. So we're, given where we left off, you know, they'll get some drama out of it and then maybe uh, he'll get killed off. Otherwise, I would say probably the the other guy from the prison, <laughs> the mechanic. The other whose guy. Name I, Wait, yeah. is that guy still but alive? He, he's been, he was in his, you know, about as much of the season as uh, as Merle, Wait, so. The, the the like, rapist, he's still alive, or, like, he seems like a rapist? No, 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 the the guy, the white guy who said he, he was a mechanic. He was hitting on the 17-year-old. Oh, right, yeah, that, that guy is still alive? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Uh, you know what? Just to close it it's off. It's like finding out that Guys with Kids is still on the air. Just just to close it off, <sighs> I still think the show needs a dog, okay? It really needs a dog. Okay. Uh, they really don't. Yes, they do. We don't need to find out what's going on with animals in the zombie world. <laughs> we don't. I, I think uh, it might make the show a little bit more interesting. My like dogs are zombies. You think, every, you think everything would be made more interesting by dogs. Did you watch the Puppy Bowl? Yo, a lot more interesting than the Super Bowl. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we'll be back next week with uh, more actual discussion of the actual series. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sucker Howell. Kate, you're at the Televerse. Yep. And Rick, you're at Sound on Sight. Thank you for listening. Do visit soundonsight.org as ever.
Okay. <laughs> Should I pause? No, 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 no. I'm going to keep recording. Okay. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Yeah, so in the book, uh, do you know what happens in the book with no. the dad? Yeah, in the book, the dad, at the end, he doesn't, like, accept the guy or whatever. He immediately, he he skips the zombie phase and becomes a bony. Because he, he he's emotionally dead and... He he goes. He's basically gonna like shoot his daughter to to so that he can kill R and um and uh, so he, he like he something happens where he I don't I haven't read it so I just don't know the plot synopsis but something happens and and they don't like jump off of the thing and land safely in a tiny pond which is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it's the the dad the dad falls and as he falls he before he hits the ground he becomes a bony and so that's you know the philosophical discussion in a nutshell right there and they cut it out. It doesn't you know, make any sense. Honestly, I think I would have found that equally annoying. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Huh. It just, I, but the, the, I don't know. The whole thing with like the bonies and the, and the developing hearts and stuff was just so black and white to me. Okay. That I, I think I was just annoyed with the whole universe and the, and the, and the rule building and stuff. I don't know. I, yeah. I, 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 I it, it all seemed like a delivery device for a very safe romance. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, it is Romeo and Juliet, and um, but they don't even yeah. have the guts to do the Romeo and Juliet ending. That's because they didn't want to do a tragedy. We've all seen the zombie movie where everybody dies at the end. We haven't seen the zombie movie where everybody becomes human. Uh, that's because it sucks. <laughs> I, I do. I did. Uh, I don't know if Ricky can hear this or not, but I did. Like the, the any issues with Julie doesn't didn't bother me because I don't like Juliet either. I don't like Romeo. I like Juliet more than Romeo, but. Juliet is not a very developed character at all. So, so. Oh, but I don't. I don't think that leaning leaning on past storytelling mistakes is a is a good excuse. Well, I'm just saying if you're gonna make a, if you're gonna make Romeo and Juliet, you're you're gonna focus on other things. You know, like I'm not gonna make I'm so, not gonna give them a hard time. If, you know, like like with um, Much Ado About Nothing, those have some amazing central characters. If you screw up the central characters in that in that adaptation, then you you should just be run out of town. If you have Romeo and Juliet, which have very uh, undeveloped central characters, I'm not going to fault you for having less developed central characters because that's, that's what the material you're adapting. Should you improve on it? Yes. Does this film? Maybe. It's, I, I'll have that discussion, but I'm not going to fault it for, you know, for I, I, remaining I'm, true to the source. I'm still offended that you even dare to compare it to Shaun of the Dead, which I think is just a million times better. Well, I would because I was sitting there in the film, watching the film, going like, "Hey, I'm actually they're they're pulling off the voiceover narration. Well done, them. Oh, That's not, uh, though. You know. but, but he's it's 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 the disaffected teen uh, writing I would, in his I journal. Would love, I would I mean, love I would love to screen this movie again, re-edit as as necessary with absolutely no narration, and see how it plays. It's a very different film. It's not you it would, mean, it's, it's a, a completely different film. Well, I'm not I'm not comparing it to some film that I can imagine that I haven't seen. I'm just com- commenting on what I saw and would it be better without the narration? Maybe, but I liked the narration. It made me laugh. It got immediately drew me into the character in a way that the performance was not going to and shouldn't because he's a zombie. So, you know, I was fine with it. <sighs> God. What are you? This is a corpse infected with the plague. It is uncaring, unfeeling, incapable of remorse. I don't understand, but he's changing, and he feels, and he's learning to be human again. Oh my god, is that him? 
Yeah. Sup? You started something here. Whatever it is that you two have, it's infecting the others. Dad, they're somehow curing themselves. They are not curing themselves. <gasps> Everything. We're seeing corpses fighting skeletons, sir. How do we shoot? Shoot this! Hi. Huh? How'd you die? How old are you? Because you could be 20-something, but you could also be a teenager. You know, you have one of those faces. 